0: Well, I want to welcome you guys to week eight of Band of Brothers of our study of the kingdom. As I said the last time I've taught and as we've talked all throughout this semester, this has been an incredible study on a topic that can a lot of times be very, very confusing. Really over the last seven weeks, what we've tried to do, what we've attempted to do is define what the kingdom is. We've spent a lot of time talking about Uh, this this idea of the now, not yet, kingdom, the kingdom being here, but also something that we are looking forward to. And today we're going to kind of take a shift, and now what we're going to do is instead of talking about what the kingdom is, we're going to talk about how we apply that to our lives. So really from this point forward to the end of the semester, there's going to be a lot of application in the teaching because what we want to do is take what we've talked about in the kingdom, what we've talked about, what the kingdom is, what does that mean for us now? That's what we really want to establish as we move forward. So for us, kind of as a, a, a guidepost for today, we need to remember here's kind of the 30,000-foot the view of the kingdom. We've established that it's, it's something that we're looking forward to. It's something that uh, the second coming of Christ, something that's going to be brought, but also it's something that Jesus himself brought in the first coming of Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about this today, but it's kind of this idea of the the already not yet or the, the, the now not yet kingdom. That's what we're living in. But under all of this is the idea that you and I are sons or daughters of the kingdom. That's a big part of our identity as kingdom citizens. And that's going to be kind of the jumping off point for us today is what does it mean for us to be a citizen of the kingdom? I think this is, a, this is a quote that I read as preparing for this study, and I want to use it kind of as a 30,000-foot view of where we're going today, a 30,000-foot view of the kingdom and what it is as we try to define what our role as kingdom citizens is. And so this says, The kingdom of God is God's love poured out on degraded humanity. It is Christ on the cross dying for the sins of the world, and it's men's acknowledgment of God as their father and becoming his sons and daughters. And so the kingdom of God is, it's it's this love that's poured out on us from the father that we don't deserve. We are adopted, we are brought into his family given access to him. And because of all this through this, you and I are acknowledging God as our father. Look at this verse from Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says To the church, to those who are believers in Philippi, he says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. So as we are here on earth right now, our role as ambassadors of the King, ambassadors of Christ, is we are to live our lives in such a way that is glorifying and bringing, uh, bringing glory to the Father as we eagerly await his return. So if we are in Christ, then we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so implied in that, implied in this citizenship is an identity. I mean, you think, of, you think of anybody from any nation across the world, there's going to be an identity tied to that. But for us as kingdom citizens, it's the kingdom of God that should determine what our identity is. And if you think about it today, People are finding their identity in literally anything else other than being a citizen of the kingdom. And and that really, I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people within the church. That's something that we struggle with as well is finding our identity in something other than our life being transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this. This is again from Philippians chapter 3. As I read this, you can I want you to imagine the emotion that Paul is using as he's writing this. because It talks about how he's tearing up as he writes it. But also, understand how vital it is and how Paul is trying to make sure the Philippians understand the importance of finding our identity as a citizen of the kingdom. He says, For I have told you often before, so this clearly isn't the first time that this has come up. I've told you often before, and I say it again. With tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they really—they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their god is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think about only about this life here on earth. So you see, the this is something that was a struggle in the first century. This is something that is still a struggle today. These, these people in Philippi, as Paul is writing to them, he's saying that there are people among you. There are people in the church that are struggling with finding their identity in something other than the Lord, finding their identity outside of being a kingdom citizen. And ultimately, they're pursuing other gods because what this is doing is if you find your identity in something other than being a citizen of the kingdom, then you're really placing whatever that is over that of God. And so they're pursuing other gods, And we see this happening all the time today. And I'm about to list through a couple of things and know that this list is not exhaustive, but it's kind of interesting that some of the things that I mentioned here were also issues that they dealt with back then as well when it comes to um, having this this crisis of identity. But today we see people finding their identity in politics with how... how, uh, How the tension of everything in politics is, sports, work, other people, our reputations. These are all things, like I said, are not exhaustive. But these are all things that we typically can we can look at our lives and say that's actually where I'm finding my identity in, rather than being a citizen of the kingdom. And guys, if I'm just being honest, those last two, finding my identity in what other people think of me or my reputation. Or in front of others, is something for the longest time, and even today, is something that I struggle with trying to find my identity. And if I were to be honest and take a step back, that's something that pops up often. And just being honest with you guys, I've been on staff at this church for a year. I've been working in men's ministry for a year, and I can look back in this past year and see that there were definitely moments where I was more concerned about what you guys thought of me and how I was doing at my job. I was more concerned about making sure that y'all thought that I was good at my job rather than fulfilling what I thought I was called to do, me being called to preaching the Word to you guys. That's something that I struggled with in the past year, and it's something that I'm sure will still be a struggle. But now I am just so incredibly thankful that the Lord has revealed that to me as an area where I have found my identity in and now working towards solely finding my identity as a citizen of the kingdom. But what's fascinating with all these is all of those things are fleeting. All of those things can be destroyed. All of the the identities that I talked about can be destroyed with the snap of a finger. I mean, think about the culture that we live in. Somebody that we adore today is the same person that we cancel tomorrow. It's all of this can just be gone in the snap of a finger. It's kind of interesting this, as we've gone through this study, specifically talking about our identity as a citizen of the kingdom and chasing after these things that are fleeting. The, the high school ministry is going through the book of Ecclesiastes and talking constantly about how there are things in this life that we're chasing after that are like vapor. They're here for a little while and then they're gone. Nothing on this earth is going to last for eternity. And yet, we so often try to place our identity in those things. The only thing that is eternal, the only thing that is never failing, is the kingdom of God. And that is where we should place our hope. That is where we should place our identity in. Through the gospel, our identity as kingdom citizens is received. And Don't miss the importance of this. This isn't something that we achieve. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is something that we receive. It's something that's given to us. There is no amount of praying. There is no amount of reading the Bible. There's no amount of anything that we can do to achieve that. It is freely given to us through the gospel, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This isn't something that we obtain Or achieve its given. And so look at this quote with all of that in mind. This kind of gives us a great uh, point forward of where we're gonna go today. This is from Jeremy Treat. He says, We're drawn into a new family, one that's bound together by something stronger than our biological genes. Through the cross, God reconciles us to Himself and into His family. By grace, we are adopted by God, given access to God, And called to be ambassadors of God. Guys, this, especially that last part of that quote, is kind of going to be where we're going to sit today. This is the crux of what it means to be a kingdom citizen. We're adopted, we're given access to God. So we're adopted by God, given access to God, and we are ambassadors for God. We are ambassadors of God. So our identity being found in Being a citizen of the kingdom, we have to ask ourselves okay, who are we? We, We've got this identity. What does this identity entail? Well, I said, like I said first, we are adopted. We're adopted into the family of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family, into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So we see that before the foundations of the earth were laid, God has decided to adopt us into his family. If you and I are in Christ, then we are brought into the family of God. And it is only through Jesus Christ that this happens. This isn't something that we do, we achieve. It's, it's through Jesus that this happens. But don't miss what this adoption means. It's more, just, it's more than just a simple, okay, now you are a part of this family. There is so much in this. Being adopted into the family of God means that we are full heirs of the coming kingdom. We're given full rights that come with being a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is something that is huge because in all of this, we don't deserve it. We, we are sinners at the core of it, and God adopts us into His family, shows us this love, this grace, this mercy that we don't deserve. He shows us this unconditional love. And so we are adopted into the family of God, but the next thing that logically follows from that is we are given access to Him. So after being adopted into the family, we're not not just staying away from the Father. He doesn't just walk away as we're now in the family. It's something that we are adopted into the family of God and we are now given full and complete access to Him. We can go to Him at any time. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guys, this verse is a verse that honestly is very near and dear to me because this verse radically changed my view of God. It radically changed my idea of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Because, and I've talked about this before, but if you don't know, a large part of my story is me coming to the understanding that I don't have to pray a certain amount of times. I don't have to read my Bible enough times to cover all of the sins of my past. So much of me used to believe that if you know, if I sinned, if I screwed up, if I did something wrong, that the Lord wasn't going to love me unless I did all of those things more and more and more. And I got to this point to where I realized that there is not a moment where this seems to be getting better. I am still a sinner in need of a Savior. And I read this verse and I just broke down because I realized that in this, as a citizen of the kingdom, if I am in Christ, if I believe in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that I can confidently approach the throne of God, knowing that that throne is full of grace, knowing that God wants to and yearns to show me grace and mercy and love that I don't deserve. That is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom Is we are given full access to that. As the father's adopted children, we are given full access to Him. Here's another quote from Jeremy Treat. He says, We can enter into conversation with Him, with God freely, and with full confidence that we are accepted and heard. Why? Because we know that we are approaching a throne of grace. We know that this King rules from His throne with love and mercy. We can approach the throne confidently. We can approach our Heavenly Father confidently knowing that He's going to show us grace and that He's going to show us mercy. Because we've been adopted through the grace of God, this is how this happens. This is why we see this ability to happen. So as a son or as a citizen of the kingdom, as a son of the King, you and I have complete and unfiltered access to the Father, to the King. And so, really, this, this adoption and this, this access that we're given, these two things are more the internal roots of our identity. But now the question becomes what do we do with these things? What, what, do, what is our action step? And the action step is actually we are ambassadors of Christ. This is uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We will actually come back to this verse a few times today. But read the message, the, the important message that Paul is telling the church in Corinth, but also telling us today as kingdom citizens. This is our mission statement. This is what we do. He said, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Guys, God God has reconciled us. God has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus, and we now have that message of reconciliation, and our charge is to take that message to the world. So we are His ambassadors. So the adoption and the access, those are the the internal roots of our identity, but the ambassadorship that we have, that is the action step. That is the external action that we now take because we are planted firmly in this idea of being adopted into the family and this idea of giving full access to the Father. We now take the the grace and the mercy that we have been shown, this, this ministry of reconciliation, we take that to the world we are charged with showing that to those around us think of an ambassador today in today's terms an ambassador really serves as a representative of a king a nation uh, representing somebody else or something else to others they're they're a representative or or they're a proxy they are this this representative to others of somebody else that is our our role as ambassadors for Christ but it's on a much much higher level. You know a few years ago I lived in DC and in Washington DC there's this thing called Ambassador Row and it's literally this street where building after building after building is just nothing but ambassadors from other nations and I mean you you, you walk through and you see this idea of somebody who lives who is originally from France who is now the ambassador to the United States. That idea is the idea that we're trying to pick up on here is we are ambassador for Christ, but it is on a much, much higher level. In fact, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is how this idea of being an ambassador is described. It says, "...you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we see an ambassadorship described as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for, his own, for God's own possession. We are a royal priesthood. And after studying this, it's it's kind of fascinating to see that as a title that is used because all throughout scripture we see God's people described in terms of royalty. We see God's people described in terms of royalty, but shortly thereafter, in most places, there's this connection with priests. And so that's kind of where you get this idea of the priest king, which is also a, a phrase that we see all throughout scripture. We see that we are described. As priest kings. And so you see, this royal priesthood is the idea of uh, attaching royalty and and priest together. So we are a royal priesthood. Now, for us today, that seems probably a bit confusing. But to a first century Jew, this would have made a ton of sense. And so I think to understand this illustration, we need to jump into the mind of a first century Jew to, to see what's happening. You see, priest back then were were charged with working and, and keeping the temple. They were charged with making sure everything operated the way it was supposed to, making sure that everything was going smoothly and everything was going the way it was supposed to within the temple. You know, as I was writing this and preparing for this, it kind of thought back to the last time I taught in this series when I was teaching through Genesis 3 through 11 the same charge is given to Adam and Eve as they are told to work and keep the garden. And so you see how that shapes what the priests were supposed to do within the temple. So priests at the time were, were God's ambassadors or representatives and mediators to men on his behalf. And so that's what this, this chosen race, this royal priesthood is meant to, to, meant to, under. that's what they're supposed to understand when they read that. But now, today, we play that role. The the, the people that make up the church play that role as representatives of God. We are those who are ambassadors of God to the world, represent His kingdom and His blessings to the world. And all of this is great, but I want to make sure we clarify one thing, that if you read through this this verse in uh, 1 Peter, you see Peter commonly or often uses Titles, descriptions, names that are commonly attributed to Israel. He he uses, you know, like the, the royal priesthood, a chosen or chosen race, a holy nation. He uses those things, and oftentimes, more often than not, they're used to describe Israel in Scripture. However, after Israel's rejection of Jesus, we see God start to use other people to accomplish. His, his purpose. We see God using a new people to accomplish his purposes and, and to bring forward his blessing and, and to, to be ambassadors for his kingdom. And those people are the people that make up the church today. Now, the the warning, the caution that I want to give is that the church doesn't replace Israel. This does not mean that the church replaces Israel in the plan of God. But Today, right now, you and I living in this now-not-yet kingdom, we are ambassadors of the kingdom. You and I are the ones that God is using to accomplish His purposes. And this is a quote that I think does a really good job of kind of explaining this, this, this uh, tension that I'm explaining. It says, This does not mean that the church is Israel or even that the church replaces Israel in the plan of God. Romans 11 should help guard us against that misinterpretation. Go back and read it, and you can come talk to me about it later if you'd like. The functions that Israel was called into existence to perform in its day of grace, the church now performs in a similar way. In the future, according to Paul, God will once again use Israel to bless the world. So we see that right now, you and I are, are us, us, those of us who are in Christ, we are ambassadors for the kingdom. We are living out, uh, living our lives in such a way that are glorifying to the Lord, edifying to the Lord, and we are bringing forth this message of reconciliation to the world. And that is, that is our goal. That is what we are called to do, but making sure that we know that the church isn't something that replaces Israel in the plan of God. But regardless of all of that, you and I are given the charge to represent God and His kingdom to the world. Now, what does it look like to be an ambassador for God? Yes, we're given this charge to to bring the gospel to the world, to bring this this message of reconciliation to the world. But that identity that we now have, it comes with a cost, namely, Jesus Christ. Remember, you and I are not ambassadors for the kingdom if it were not for Jesus Christ and the cross. There is nothing that you and I can do to achieve this. This is something that is given to us and is through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is kind of the, the warning and the cost that comes with being an ambassador for, for the kingdom. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is Jesus speaking and he's saying, look, this is what you get to look forward to. People are going to insult you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to falsely accuse you of things because of me. Then again in Matthew 27, you will be arrested. You will be persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. This is, is the life of an ambassador. This is what we see happening in scripture, is what we see Jesus warning us about. However, we are we are an ambassador for the kingdom with the end in mind. But consider the lives of Peter, John, and Paul, and these are kind of the three that I wanted to focus on. You've I've put this chart in the notes, you can you can look through it as well. So Peter and John uh, we see their calling to be an apostle in the some of the same places i listed them here in Matthew 4, Mark 3 and Luke 5 but both of these men after the ascension of jesus went on to do amazing things for the kingdom they went on to represent the kingdom well however there was so much of their life where they experienced persecution there was a lot of their life where they experienced some really hard times paul or i mean peter for example in acts chapter 4 was brought before the council. He was persecuted in front of them. And we see ultimately, he was crucified upside down. That's how he was, he was killed. But we see him accomplishing amazing things, and even in his death, glorifying the Lord. Now, John the story of John is crazy. John obviously preached the gospel for his entire life. And as we'll see, according to church tradition, John was the only apostle, the only disciple who was not uh, martyred. And he lived to be in his mid-90s, it's assumed. And that entire time, he is preaching the gospel. He is preaching Christ. Yet he experienced loads of persecution. He was Church tradition, early church tradition tells us that he was thrown into boiling oil, survived, and then was exiled to Patmos where he wrote Revelation. And now I want to make sure we understand that when he was on Patmos, he wasn't just chilling, doing nothing. He was slave labor on Patmos. Gets old enough to where he's able to go home. And it says, church tradition says he died of natural causes. But that entire time he is still up until the last moment preaching the gospel. And then Paul, of course, we see Damascus Road conversion. We see Paul is being charged with taking the gospel message to the Gentiles, a complete, really like almost 180 of what his life was at the time. And he spends a significant, the remainder of his life making sure that the gospel is going to the Gentiles. But that was not something that he, he he didn't do that without experiencing some persecution. In fact, look at this verse uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read this to you guys. This Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and context of this passage is he's telling them to be on guard for false prophets, false apostles, and he says this of himself. This just kind of gives us an idea into the the persecution that he faced. This is uh Picking up in verse 24 of chapter 11, it says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city danger in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things so there's still more there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches and so we see in this passage that that Paul experienced a ton of persecution as an ambassador for the kingdom However, he says, all of that, all of that persecution, is, is it's, it's, it's hard, it's rough. But for me, the greatest thing on my heart is the health of the churches. We see all throughout the New Testament, Paul is planning churches, and we see his letters to these churches, and he has a heart for them to be ambassadors for the kingdom, to be great citizens of the kingdom. And so he says, regardless of all that persecution that is where the constant anxiety the constant yearning of my heart is is to see to see them grow and we see the end of Paul's life comes around the same time as Peter where he we see he is ultimately beheaded and what's crazy about that verse in 2 Corinthians is at that point of writing Paul still had about 10 to 11 years of ministry left and so you know that that time frame was also filled with persecution, yet Paul is wanting to make sure that the gospel is going forward. Paul is wanting to make sure that this idea, uh, this, this, this message of reconciliation is heard all throughout the world. So we see that the life of an ambassador is not something that is super, super glamorous. Being a citizen of the kingdom, it's not a cakewalk. You see, Christ actually warns His disciples of this in advance. Look at Matthew chapter 10. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles." So we see this is something that we're going to expect. Persecution is something that we should expect as ambassadors for the kingdom. But notice the end of this verse. Jesus says, even in all of that, you are going to be bearing witness for me in front of them in this process. You and I as citizens of the kingdom, as ambassadors of the kingdom, those of us who are in Christ, we have a demanding and difficult role to perform. And from the first century to now the role of an ambassador for the kingdom for Christ has not changed. So we see all of this is who we are as kingdom citizens. You see we're adopted into the family, we're given a full access to God, we're given a full inheritance, we're given we're we're full heirs of the coming kingdom. But ultimately the action step we take is we are now ambassadors for the kingdom. We are ambassadors for the one true king. Now implied in that is this this sort of dual citizenship. So if you think about it right now, you and I are citizens of the United States. We're citizens of this earth. We have a physical citizenship here on earth. But at the same time, We have a spiritual citizenship. We are spiritual citizens of this now-not-yet kingdom of God. Now, this is a a phrase that we've used multiple times over the past few weeks, this now-not-yet or or already-not-yet kingdom. And we've used this to describe and really kind of define what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of heaven is. And this is uh, some Just a couple of verses that I want to give you guys to help point us in that direction. Matthew chapter 4 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Colossians chapter 1, we see, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so looking at this chart, I think... Th- this is a good example of really what this, this idea of the, the now-not-yet kingdom looks like. You see the, the coming of Jesus. We see that represented there, the first coming by the cross. But really, we're living in this kind of a, a, a double age. We're living in this present evil age. But Jesus, when He comes in the first coming and He, he dies on the cross for our sins, He brings the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so right now, you and I are living in this overlap, this, this tension of, these, of this age where it's, we are looking forward to the coming kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. So we've got a mission to, to do. We've got a mission to fulfill while we are here on earth. So the question for us as kingdom citizens is, how do we live in this current age? How do we live in this age? Well, right now, you and i we exist those of us who are in Christ exist as sojourners or or exiles look at mark chapter 1 it says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel the kingdom of heaven is here we need to repent and believe in the gospel we saw in the second corinthians verse that now after we have repented we are charged with taking that ministry that message of reconciliation To the world. But guys, you and I, we've been living as exiles in a foreign land since the garden. Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, and you can see from that moment forward, from that moment to now, that we long to return to the peace. We long to return to the intimacy that was felt between Adam and Eve and God before the fall of man. In fact, every time we talk about, man, I just wish the Lord would come back now, implied in that is wanting to return to that, that intimacy and that peace that Adam and Eve felt at the time. So living as temporary residents in this world, we really have to fight two, two temptations. The first temptation is that we, we check out, we, we isolate, we try to separate ourselves from society. This is something that we face, uh, a temptation that we face as kingdom citizens. Or the complete opposite of that is that we we, we try to assimilate. We try to blend in. And so when it comes to this, this temptation to isolate, these are obviously two extremes that we, we want to avoid, but it's really easy to just walk out our front door and it, it seems like the world's going to, to hell in a handbasket. And we look around and we see nobody or it seems like people are not following after the Lord. It seems like people are living contrary to what we see as being a citizen of the kingdom. And as I said earlier, so many people are trying to find their identity in literally anything else other than being a citizen of the kingdom. And so it becomes easy for us to want to escape. It becomes easy for us to want to form our own society or, or, or to back up and form our own culture, kind of really have this, this holy huddle where we can just be with those who believe the same thing as us and never have to interact with anybody who doesn't. But guys, that's not, that is not our calling. I want to go back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse, and I'm going to read this again and understand the importance of why we are here. God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. That is the task that you and I as uh, as kingdom citizens, that's the task that we're given, reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Guys, we cannot isolate. We cannot separate ourselves. God has reconciled you and I. He's reconciled us to himself. We are now charged with taking that message of reconciliation to the world. Why would we keep that to ourselves? You and I have been changed, transformed by the power of the gospel. Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? Why would we not want to share that with others? In fact, God has given us this task to reconcile others to himself. And we are making, God is making his appeal through us. Why would we take ourselves out of that equation? Why would we separate ourselves out, pull ourselves out so that people don't hear that? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, he says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So Paul is very blatantly telling the Corinthians, and by extension us, because we're facing the same thing today, that isolation, separation, pulling ourselves out of society is something that is unbiblical, but it's also something that is impossible. I mean, look at the, look at the Pharisees. Consider them as an example, and I know it's never fun to be con- compared to a Pharisee, but they were really the, the separatist of the day. They did whatever they could to separate themselves from what they thought was unholy, people they thought were unholy, things that they thought were unholy. They did whatever they could to separate themselves away from that. It's interesting because the word Pharisee, the Greek word for Pharisee is actually derived from Aramaic word paras, which literally translate to some, translates to somebody who is a separatist, somebody who separates themselves. And so often... We see the, the Pharisees being, their, their actions come off as unloving. They come off as arrogant. They come off as holier than thou. And that is a product of this idea of isolating ourselves, pulling ourselves out of uh, society, out of culture, and forming this, this, this holy huddle. You see, they showed no concern for sinners. Guys, we... I cannot stress this enough, we, we have been changed by the power of the gospel and we cannot keep that to ourselves. You and I have this mission, this charge to take that message of reconciliation to the world. Why, why would we want to back out of society and allow, not allow people to hear that? That is our mission. That is what we are charged to do. We cannot, we cannot separate ourselves. So while we are set apart, it doesn't mean that we separate. That doesn't mean that we isolate. It means that we should live set apart and live distinctively different lives. You and I have been transformed by the power of the gospel. That should be evident in our lives and we shouldn't exit. We shouldn't separate because we see the world doing something differently. Ephesians chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians chapter 1, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. So guys, we see that all throughout Scripture, you and I as citizens of the kingdom, what we're called to do, what we're charged to do is to take this ministry of reconciliation to the world, take the gospel to the world, represent God, represent His blessings and His kingdom here on earth. Now, the flip side of that coin, the other extreme of that is to assimilate, and this is something that we see honestly more prevalent today, but it's also a temptation that the first century Jewish people faced at the time. If you think about it, they really struggled with something that's known as syncretism. They had this this temptation to mix Greco-Roman philosophy with the gospel and with the teachings of Jesus, Um, but really... All this does is it dilutes and diminishes the effectiveness of the gospel because you're taking something from man and adding it to, to the truth of the gospel. And this is a problem that we saw in Corinth because Paul writes in the, uh, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians he says, You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you've received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you have believed. Guys, for us today, the same problem exists. We, we tend to want to uh, be seen as culturally relevant, and so what happens a lot of times in culture, or today in the church, is we see people adding to or, or changing the gospel to fit the times per se. But guys, the world's greatest need right now is gospel resilience. It is not cultural relevance. There has never been a moment in history where the gospel wasn't relevant. The worst of the worst to the best of the best, the gospel is relevant in every single point of history. So right now, the world's greatest need is for the gospel to remain resilient and for us, as ambassadors of Christ, as ambassadors of the kingdom, to take that gospel to the world. So isolating and assimilating, these are the two extremes that we should avoid. But that raises the question for us is, okay, where's the middle ground? What's the right posture that we should inhibit as ambassadors of the kingdom? well we should faithfully live in exile. Remember earlier I said we are we are currently living in exile in a foreign land. We should faithfully live in in exile. And I think a perfect example of this is what we see in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 I'm about to read through this passage, but for some context the Israelites are are now in exile in Babylon. But one of the most famous verses comes from this chapter. We see Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, but I want to give you guys the background for what's going on before we get there. So this is what uh, we see God saying to the Israelites as they are in exile. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's what he says to him. He says, Build houses and live in them. Don't miss that God is encouraging them to be faithful to Him in their exile. He literally told them to seek the welfare of the city in which they were in exile in. This is their temporary home, and God is saying, pray for this place. You see, He wanted them in Babylon to be influential. He wanted them to be involved. He didn't want them to separate. They were there. They were to make a difference there. But in all of this, they were doing, with, they were doing all this with the end in mind. They were doing all of it with the end in mind and knowing that God was in control. God has a plan. And that gets us to where that Jeremiah 29, 11 verse comes from. But picking up in verse 10, look what it says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Guys, the Lord is faithful. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, the Israelites were in exile in a foreign land. They were strangers. They were sojourners. They did not fit in. Yet God had a great future in store for them. However, in the meantime, they were to remain faithful. They were to live faithfully and influentially in their exile. You see, they they had to trust that the Lord was going to fulfill His promises. The Lord is faithful. But you and I are told to live faithfully in our exile. And that's what we can grab from this story. So I know today the circumstances for us look a little different than the exile story that we just read through. But there's a lot that you and I can learn from this. You see, we've been set apart, but not set off or separated. You and I have a job to do. We have a mission to accomplish. And to round out today, I want to read one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And this this is our, our mission statement. This is what we should read as we charge to go out and and be ambassadors for Christ as we, we, we share this message of reconciliation to the world. Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's through this authority, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And I am sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, be ambassadors for my kingdom. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. That is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That is what it means to be an ambassador for the kingdom. So as we jump into the questions for this week, the first one Kind of goes back to what we just read. Considering Jeremiah 29, 11, what does it look like for us to live faithfully as ambassadors in our current setting? Second, what does it look like for us to live in this already not yet or this now not yet kingdom that we've been talking about? And lastly, what are some ways in which you have tried to isolate from society or found yourself assimilating? And with that, what are the dangers of both of those in culture today? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for just giving us your word. God, I pray that you would take uh, what you've been teaching us through what the kingdom is and Lord that you would give you would add fuel to the fire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, I pray each and every one of us would fulfill this calling to be an ambassador for the kingdom. And Lord that we would understand that we are adopted into your family and that we have, full access to you and we can approach your throne of grace confidently. Lord, thank you for this, this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation and, and for reconciling us to yourself. Lord, and I pray that we would take that to those outside of these walls. In this is your name I pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.